Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting into go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. All right, everybody, joined today by uh, wild hog apologist Jesse Griffiths. Perfect. I love it. That title stuck. Dude, uh, we didn't have any wild hog at your restaurant the other night, but when I took my my wife and daughter to your restaurant in Austin, Texas, died due way. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, was it good, man. Oh, that's good to hear. My wife said it was the best meal. I'm not kidding, unprompted. She said it was the best meal she had had in years. In years. I which I shouldn't that. really point that out because I cook dinner every night. <laughs> she, I'm sure she <laughs> meant restaurant meal. I know that's what she meant. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't think about it now, but it was like a dig. She was making a dig at me. No. It wasn't building you up, dude. It was knocking me down, and I didn't even realize it. No, I think there's, it's, there's, it's categories. You know, you, you've got your at-home meals, and you've got your dining out meals, and we, we, we must have excelled in that. I'll take yeah, that. Yeah, you excelled in the dining out. Well, my brother Danny, um, he'll, he'll often say that when he eats at someone's house or whatever, he likes it. He says, because it just doesn't taste like something I made. Right. Well, it's like the whole sandwich rule. You know, like if somebody else makes you a sandwich, it's better than if you made yourself a sandwich. Yeah. 100%. That no, was so good. We had your nil guy. We had the tartar. Right. What is that exactly? I mean, I know what it is, but like, how, what, what, like tell people what the preparation is. Oh, it changes a lot. And uh, t- like, like, act like you're going to do it with a deer or something like that. A deer? 
Uh, or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, it's all pretty much, if you can eat it raw, it's pretty interchangeable. And I, I prefer the tenderloin or a muscle off the leg. Um, if it's a, if it's a tartare, then we'll, we'll finely dice it and then we'll give it a nice hand chop with a real heavy, sharp knife. And then. You, so each piece of meat is how big? Well, they start off uh, like smaller, you know, probably like a one centimeter dice. Okay. And then it gets hand chopped. Uh, till you get that perfect, that like, not ground, but uh, consistency. Where it's, it's so you fine. you make a little cube, mm-hmm. you slice a little cube, correct, and then you wop 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 wop. Yeah, with the, with the, that's the noise it makes. Well, the that's, chef's knife. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it exactly like. the sound it makes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, just go over it until it's nice and fine, and then uh, sky's the limit. There, you know, you get creative and add something. You know, so you want to put something maybe acidic in there. Uh, something textural, whether that's arugula or a, or an onion or a caper or something like that. Um, something bright like lemon, salt. Obviously, it needs it needs a lot of salt. I always feel like it's one of those things like avocados and potatoes that's relying on having uh, the right amount of salt on it. Yep. And then what? Um, I mean, you can go traditional, put the egg yolk. I in want there you to tell me. I mean, I, I know you weren't there, but I want you to tell me what I ate the other night. In all honesty, I don't know what the current set is because she might have changed it. So that Janie's the chef at the restaurant, yeah. And and she, uh, I if I recall correctly, right now it was a, there's a piece of grilled bread. Yep. Okay. Arugula. Yep. And a, okay, and then a fermented sofrito vinaigrette. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. We're just gonna we're just gonna nod and say yes at this yep. point because this is borderline embarrassing that I don't know what's going on. Well, you, like, I, I told you, but you weren't there, <laughs> right? Uh, I think uh, yeah. So what we've got there is those those same components. You know, you've got uh, texture, especially the grilled bread being slightly warm. You know, a little bit of smoke, so you got a nice texture there. Arugula texture, and then the fermented sofrito, which sounds kind of you know. Uh, slightly fancy it's basically just our way of preserving summertime uh, vegetables in sofrito form which would be onion garlic tomato pepper um for using as a cooking base i mean it's a very traditional uh, way to like start a lot of dishes and since we're relying on having stuff uh out of season because we don't you know source anything that's not available what we'll do is we'll make a a a liquid out of that will puree that to a paste and then add salt and then ferment that and so we have it year round and it's and you're it's doing it all in your restaurants correct yes you know what you didn't take my advice on <sighs> here we go i'll tell you <laughs> i knew you were gonna tell me <laughs> when i ate in your okay you're when i ate in your restaurant i think last time i was in there i got to noticing that in the fine print at the bottom of the menu right like where someone would normally write shit like parties of six or more will have an automatic 15% gratuity or whatever sure, bullshit's sure. in the bottom of a sure. menu and super no one ever in a million years would read right you have down there the, the I love the the wording is wonderful you it says almost everything is from around here correct we had to change that that caveat almost because it used to be everything, and then there, there's a couple ingredients kind of snuck in. Like what? What snuck in? Uh, we get we get organic potatoes from Colorado. For it, it's almost like a, it's just really funny because this always comes up. It's like 
the restaurant's probably 99% locally sourced, but for some reason that 1% that I'm a little bashful about always rises to the oh, top. Oh, because it, because it, because it, yeah, because well, it says like almost everything. It's not, it here. says almost, <laughs> but I would have that in big ass letters at the top of the menu. Right. Well, I think, I mean, well, first off, I think subtlety goes a long way. And the, and the server's job is to explain that. Okay. You know, when she you, if you ask about, you know, a lemon. And I pressed, I pressed or, her on it. Sure. And when pressing her on it, she was saying like, well, there might be a situation where we'd have something. I can't remember what it was. Something would be from New Mexico. Well, we from New Mexico, we get uh, uh, pistachios. And uh-huh. uh, we do occasionally source one of our sparkling wines from there. That's what you told me. Yes. I forgot about that. And that's probably, to my uh, she recollection. Said that, she said the reason you guys don't have a cocktail program is because it's too difficult to get it all from Texas. Right. Yes. Because like the citrus and shit, you'd have continuous. Uh, it would be, it wouldn't be impossible, but it would be, it would be onerous. You know, it, it would, yeah, it, it would be tough. It'd be easier now that there's more spirits coming out of Texas too, which mm-hmm. has changed since we opened eight years ago. That's been drastic. Uh, but, um, you know, specifically speaking of citrus, you know, and we're down here in South Texas and, I got the text, you know, don't come back without 70 pounds of lemons <laughs> because that's, this is where they are. Like if, if we want lemons, I have to like put them in my truck and bring them to Austin. And uh, I just hope that everybody appreciates those lemons because <laughs> they're going to go on a ride, you know, but uh, you know, it's, you know, like almost everything is, is the, I, I felt like the best way to put that. Yeah. That's so good, man. I'm glad you liked it. I mean, to be clear, too, we did have feral hog on the menu. Yeah, no, I didn't get it. Right. I got that big-ass pork chop. I love our pork chop. Yeah. So the ranch that we do our classes at is actually a domestic pig farm also. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got um, thousands of acres, and part of it is an all-outdoor operation where he's raising these just beautiful, gorgeous domestic pigs. And uh, I think that's that's step one. It's just having the best possible pork, and it is just a gorgeous product. It goes into a brine, olive oil, honey, um, after it comes out of brine, and then we grill it over post oak, and then we put salt from uh, Padre Island, so far south Texas, like the hyper saline bay down there. They they make salt. That's where you get your harvest salt. salt. That's where we get some of our salt, you know, for, for like finishing steaks and pork chops and so forth. Uh, and then it just gets a sprinkle of that on top, and that's it. Oh, it's good, man. Yeah, it's a good one. I like it a lot. How much wood were you saying you guys go through there because you cook over wood? Yeah, about a quart of post oak every probably five days or so. Yeah, that blows my mind. Yeah, we burn a lot. Yeah, in the smoker and then the two grills. You know, those things are going, you know, burning hot for many hours a day because. I remember, you know, when I used to sell wood, it might be typical for a family to buy four or five cords to heat their house for the winter. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we're, yeah. You, some, I mean, if you do the math, you know that, you know, a log is, you know, maybe a dollar, maybe more. And so you just, you're literally burning money. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it tastes good, you know, and it's, it's part of it, you know, just that, that heart, the heart of the hearth there. Uh, you know, and and so much of the the things that come out of that kitchen are cooked over that wood. And so you know, it's, uh, it's worth it. you were talking about 
the, the the different like for cooking woods. Talk about your favorite wood. Well, for because you, you use post oak. That's true. Yes. Well, I mean, in Texas too, it's very regional um, as far as what the the predominant fuel wood or not fuel wood, but um, cooking wood uh, would be. And so, in Central Texas, we have oaks. Um, in South Texas, where we're at right now, it's mesquite. You know, mesquite is king down here. But I mean, what's notable too is that that changes a lot of cooking. Uh, techniques so like uh, like barbecue in central texas is this offset uh, like slow heat where when you move south into mesquite country it starts to become a it's a hotter wood and so things are grilled hotter there's not as much smoking going on down here and that's because of the wood you know so that the 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 slower burn on oak in central texas makes barbecue but the south texas mesquite fire which is hotter kind of that's that makes fajitas you know yep. what i mean and so yep. i find that to be fascinating but you know we're we're right on the border between the post oaks and the mesquites and you know we have plenty of mesquites in central texas as well but i would give the edge in my preference uh for grilling to mesquite i love it uh, it just it burns very hot it has a very distinct flavor to it um, but mostly what I enjoy is that that constant heat. Once that thing burns down to coals, like a nice cured mesquite log burns to like red hot coals, you, you've got it for a long time. And it puts out a ton of heat for quick cooking and searing. For smoking, I don't love it as much. I prefer post oak or pecan. Uh, are you familiar with the measurement? Like I used to sell wood in this measurement. A rick? No, never heard of that. Have you ever heard of a face cord? Nope. So a, a cord of wood is four by four by eight. So it's what, 128? I used to know this yeah. real well. 128 cubic feet. Um, 16 inch. So it's, it's and firewood is traditionally cut at 16 inch lengths. So three logs stacked end to end is 48 inches. The stack goes 48 inches high, and it's eight feet long, and that's a cord of wood. But we used to sell a rick, and that was a face cord, meaning one log wide, so 16 inches wide, four feet high, eight feet long. A third of a cord. Yeah, third of a cord, a rick. A third of a cord is a rick. But you never heard that measurement? No. No. Now, if you need as much wood as you need, why do you not just have a staff wood chopper? <laughs> a woodsman, a woods person. Yeah, um, that's a that's a great question, but um, that would delve into the kind of the boring topic of uh, modern staffing issues. Uh, I'm telling you, it's it's hard enough to find a lo a line cook than a not uh, a wood tick. Yeah, the, as we call chop, chop wood go. wood tick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, I think you need to have an ad in the paper that says wanted staff wood chopper. Oh, yeah. Be like, dude, here's your job. Here's like a truck. We're going to put some beefer springs on it. We're going to build some sidewalls. It's going to be able to carry 5,000 pounds. We're going to put a cord of wood in there. And your job is I want that son of a truck here full three times a week. I don't care how you do it. I'm going to get the weirdest messages now from people <laughs> be like, I heard you're looking for a woodsman. Uh, I, I would like to send in my resume. To be like, oh, no. Well, listen, if you look, can, can we say, is this fair to say? If these, if someone's listening and they live in Austin 
and they have like a great wood supply and they want to sell some wood, is right. it fair to say they should be getting a hold of you? Possibly. I mean, we try to we try to foster a, rela- a, a consistent relationship with with. Uh, do you want dudes just dropping <laughs> off straight loads of wood now? No, and then? no, because yeah, we need it when we need it, and uh, with what the 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 goal is to have somebody that's out there bringing you quality wood consistently, like a staffer. Right, right. I mean, it's kind of like the uh, the grass fed grass fed beef uh, producers. Like a lot of times you'll. You'll will be contacted by someone who who raises grass fed beef, and they'll say, "Hey, we we can, we would love to supply the restaurant." And it's like, "Oh, okay." And it's like, "Well, we'll have one cow available every five weeks." And it's like, "Well, that doesn't that doesn't help us. Like, we can't really do much with that." And then you know, like the thought of like aggregating multiple vendors uh, together to try to make that happen is is it's just not going to happen. It would be. I might have told my wife a lie. And I'm just going to tell everybody the lie now. I was, when we were sitting there, I was telling my wife, I said, man, sometimes people just show up with, with people will show up with produce and shit. And these guys, sure. and these guys can just buy it and serve it. Yes. That's no, not, that, that, does that is happen. true. Okay. That's different. But I mean, not like, loads of yeah. wood. Or my favorite was uh, this guy uh, uh, knocks on the back door and with he mushrooms. asks for me. He's got dreadlocks and he's he wants to talk to me and he's got something in his car to show me. Sure. And I was like, I could not I'd get out to the parking lot it, fast like, I'll enough. Take it. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> I got to see what's in the car. And it turns out it was a it was like a a Honda and the whole uh, the whole back area, like the little cargo area in the back, just loaded with chanterelles. And I was like, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> and tell all your friends that I'll take it too. So, yeah, sometimes it does work out. It's the guy that's like, hey, can I drop some some hogs off? And you're like, no, nah, I can't do that. That's uh, that's not how we do it here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, remember how I got I got to talk about a couple things real quick. Uh, and it's not like a horrible, It's a, it, it won't be, it'll seem like a rough segue to people who weren't, privy to our conversation before we started recording because we were talking about what making a lot of noise last night foxes no owl no coyotes yep oh or coyotes coyotes well no that 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 gets into the problem not a problem guy wrote in he's got this question he says he has a potential discussion point that i'd love to hear the opinion regarding the pronunciation of the word coyote oh how do you say it jesse uh i'll say coyote mm-hmm. but i mean down here you would be just as apt or likely to hear coyote mm. oh mm. this guy says i grew up in rural area kansas where the word coyote was pronounced in the two syllables form coyote okay <laughs> i would only hear the three syllable pronunciation of coyote from television or media. You know what? He already has his answer. He already has his answer. He just doesn't realize it yet. I always made the inference that the three-syllable pronunciation was used in urban areas by people who did not hunt, trap, or otherwise interact with the animal in any way. To be honest, I would internally discredit anyone who used the three-syllable pronunciation as a city slicker that only knew coyotes from Saturday morning cartoons. That was me. However, recently I have to question my previous dogma. As an avid listener to the Meat Eater podcast, I've heard on several occasions both the crew and guests using both 
the two and three syllable pronunciation. Not me. That was me. I was editorializing when I said not me. These are people that are much closer to the land than I spend more time outdoors and of whom I respect their opinions. He wants to know about how the proper pronunciation. Uh, can I address this? Yeah, but I'm going to do it too. If you want to start, that's fine. I'm going to start. Okay. Um, that's a Spanish word. Like I said earlier, it's coyote. And I think that it, just like in Texas, you're going to have these uh, mispronunciations of Spanish words, but you're going to kind of see a segue between the Spanish word and then where we're going to say coyote, which is where we're pronouncing that E. But then if you looked at it from, from an English language standpoint, that E would be silent and make the O a hard O sound. So it'd be a coyote. Uh-huh. Yep. So I think that, you know, the closer you get to the origin of the word Spanish down here, and I mean, you know, we, we go to the rodeo, you know, we, we eat a burrito, but, you know, but all these words are slight Americanizations or, you know, English pronunciations of Spanish words. And I think coyote adding the E on there and then further north you get, you're probably going to get more into a, linguistic version that's reflective of of english yeah coyote Hmm. Hmm. i have never heard in my life someone who has killed a coyote called a coyote what about where you've spent a lot of time meeting those folks who've all over damn place okay now, we put this question to Dan Flores, who is the author of what he would call Coyote America. I would call Coyote America. <laughs> um, and I threw it to him. And he, he's basically either or. He's like, he says, probably the first English-speaking people that encountered that word would have been mountain men trapping around in new mexico and taos i think i'm getting this right about how, what his history was they were hearing it from spanish speakers they were english speakers he said you know you could see how they would have run off of that in various directions um from coyote that it would just have, travel its own little path but i think the person's right that you do like in media it's always coyote hmm. in in like vernacular of uh people of the land seems to me it's always uh coyote like who chases the roadrunner saturday wiley morning. coyote no cartoons no <laughs> wiley no. coyote see yeah. no it's <laughs> wiley yes. coyote it's not wild coyote Here, here's it can i hit you with the chetiket question that's etiquette okay why did you call it Chetiket? Because our, our guy Chester. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh okay. uh, yeah. Um, we're, we're interested in pursuing a project where Ch- Chester on Chetiket, Chester on etiquette, just for sure to be Chetiket. Okay, here's a guy, a self-declared late-onset hunter. Recently moved from the Seattle area to Richmond Williamsburg area of Virginia. That's a big change. What's that? That's a big change. Big change. I run a small farm that's tucked about one quarter mile back off a rural road. This is a great question. The property on either side of the driveway is owned by a hunting club. So let's get this. 
He's got a quarter mile. Mashie's got a quarter mile driveway that ends at his farm. Mm -hmm. But as he's going down his own driveway, a hunt club owns either side. Mm -hmm. Long story short, he says, if there are turkeys on said driveway, do you feel like they would be fair game for me to shoot as long as I'm respecting all other rules, including proximity to actual road and buildings, etc.? I do hunt the actual 43-acre farm property as I like the act and process of hunting and thoroughly miss going out in the Cascades for days chasing elk, but with still a lot to learn, wouldn't mind an easy harvest from time to time. There's only one way you're going to get the right answer to this. I'll tell you, in my mind, like I'm not standing there and I don't really, I can't see the lay of the land and all that. In my mind, it would just be a matter of like, is it illegal or not? Right. I, it sounds legal to me. And then there's what you call trespass with projectile too. So meaning that the uh, rifle bullet or uh, more likely shotgun, like not a single pellet could trespass over the property. Yeah, but different, uh. like different states have such different attitudes toward that stuff. And you know, think about it, man. Let's say you're hunting squirrels. Let's say you got 20 acres and you're hunting squirrels and you take a shot at a squirrel up in a tree. You've just trespassed. And you missed them. I mean, there's like, of course your projectile just trespassed. Sure. Like no one, you know. Well, that, I mean, here, that's what the issue I think would be. Yeah. But on your road, you're turkey. Well, what I'm saying, I mean, I would, I feel like it's probably okay, but there's only one way you're ever going to really feel comfortable doing it if you're like a, if you want to be like a totally law-abiding dude, call your game warden. Just be like, I got a question. But then I would advise this. This is not a hack on game wardens. Um, if, if you find someone who in, indulge you and they tell you no, press them on why they're telling you no. Are they saying it doesn't seem like a good idea or is it actually, because that's, that's your decision to make. Are they telling you it doesn't seem like a good idea or are they telling you it is illegal? Mm. I've had, I, I one time asked a game warden a question like this, and they turned back to me like, why do you feel that you would need to ask about it? Like pressing me to see if I somehow felt funny about the situation. It's sure. But I'd be like, that's not what I'm here to talk about. What I'm here to talk about is am I breaking a law? I'm trying to understand I'm not talking about what it feels like. I'm saying, is it breaking a law to hunt a turkey on this road? Yeah. Not like, is this really the kind of hunt you want? Yeah, no, no, no. I th yeah. contact the game warden. It's not a cop-out, but... Let me hit you with another turkey thing. I don't know. I haven't contacted. I don't know anybody that has contacted Michigan to find out why in the world they're doing this? Michigan allowed this past fall, speaking of turkeys, Michigan allowed the unlimited take of fall turkeys this past fall. You could shoot a turkey, go get another tag, shoot another, and so on until there were no tags left. Meanwhile, they only allow one time in the spring. 
Wow. And that's... My no, buddy knows guys is... who killed multiple gobblers this fall legally, not to mention how many hens. Oh, hens as well. Yeah. I think it's like, like I haven't heard the logic on it. That shit is ridiculous. Is that statewide? Yeah, well, it's in his in his in his zone in the south. Huh. I haven't heard the reasoning, but let me tell you, like, like there are so many places that that you got good turkey numbers, and they take that shit for granted, and then you don't. Right. There right. is no if. Go hunt all the other shit you can hunt in the fall. Right. I would be hard pressed to think of a of an instance where you just have too many turkeys. No, someone might think they do. Right, but it ain't hunters. Right. I don't understand. Like, you get a tom turkey in the spring, and turkeys are for spring hunting. <laughs> right. It's like, if 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 God didn't want you to hunt turkeys in the spring, he wouldn't have made spring. <laughs> and to have it be that you're just waylaying, like, you can get one in the spring season, but in the fall, you can just pile up hens. Yeah. It's like, you're, 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 you're taking you're, you're taking your situation for granted. I wonder how many hunters like took advantage of that. Like folks who typically pursue in the spring were like, "Well, I'll just bag them all," or it, you know, didn't or kind yep. of respected like the. How much is a tag? That I don't. I mean, very cheap for residents. Probably eight or ten bucks. You know, I would like. Yeah, I mean, I. I having some level of fall hunting like that you could get a turkey in the fall I'd be, uh, okay like I'd, I'd, I'd like i really think i would really think that states would would not regard having good turkey numbers as just a given right after the all the reintroductions that were you know starting in a lot of places, but in that area in the upper Midwest, all those turkey reintroductions that really took off in the nineties, like that's not going to last. Right. Having it's not going to last, and if you just take if you just shooting shitloads of hens all fall, I don't. Th- it's just not smart, man. There's not that much to hunt in the spring, so protect the spring hunt. Or just increase the tag number, like let everybody shoot four in the spring. Well, two. Yeah. Two is a great number of turkeys. It's great when you can get more, but like two is a great number for turkeys. I think if a state could sit there and say, man, we like our residents can across the board get a couple turkeys apiece in the spring, I would view that as a wonderful turkey policy and protect the spring hunts. Go hunt something different in the fall. Save your save your turkeys for spring. I They're, wonder when they'll have population data, just, like next year. You know, uh, yeah, zero even, turkeys or I, not. I, you know, I, I'm sure someone will write in, and I, I I look forward to hearing. I look forward to hearing. Or did you notice one of the, a person that wrote in? We're not going to cover his letter right now, but his name is Anders Chippendale. Oh, yeah. I wonder if he's the original. <laughs> um uh what the hell was I talking about? Writing in. You got distracted. Turkeys. I got distracted when I saw that. Oh. I'm sure someone will write in and explain why they think it's a good idea to kill to let people just waylay tons of hens in the fall. Yeah. 
And that begs the question, uh, should we start waylaying tons of hens in the spring? Yeah, what's well, the no, difference? They're, they're laying eggs. That's who lays the eggs? <laughs> yeah, in general. It's like the hen doesn't care. You kill the hen whenever you want. You're still preventing. It's like you're, you're removing your reproductive females. Like killing it in the fall isn't, I mean, it's like it's a little more roundabout because you could be like, well, I don't know if she would have been alive in the spring. But like I'm normally all for if there's like a, a, a species and there's a human desire to harvest it and it's a sustainable species, I was kind of like, let people harvest the resource if it's sustainable. But I don't think places should be doing this. Well, I guess the insinuation would be that that if, if there's an overabundance of them, they have to have some sort of negative impact. Uh, yeah, what, that, right, no, I mean, that's just what I'm asking. What could possibly be the negative impact of too many turkeys on the ground? What are they eating? It's not crop depredation. I mean, maybe slightly. Yeah, but they scratch around. That's what I'm. Corn, yeah, yeah, I'm just playing. It's a poop on my house. Here. They poop on my house. They chase my dog. Well, I mean, here in Texas, the major uh, criticism I hear about turkeys is they'll eat all the corn at a feeder. They'll come in and Hoover it all up, um, and that's about as bad as they get as like impactful as as an abundance of turkeys can be here to my recollection i can't remember of anybody ever saying anything otherwise and then that instance doesn't even exist in most other states and so what could it possibly have been for them to decide that other than like oh we're going to provide our hunters with something more there i mean what could the impact be to make them make that choice yeah i don't know i'm sure we'll find out if I was doing a good job, I would have found out before I brought it up. <laughs> but here's my thing. I'm like, I'm 90% sure. I'm 90% sure that when I hear the rationalization for it, I'll say, uh, I'll say, I, that's not a good idea. Save it for spring. 100%. Have they ever done this before? Well, a lot of places have, you know, a lot of states have fall turkey hunts. And when states' turkey numbers look like they're going down, it's kind of the first thing you do is you... It's like when turkey numbers are great, one of the first things that seems states do is they start killing them in the fall. When turkey numbers start going down, they tend to not want to kill them in the fall. But the idea of having that an individual could just keep renewing and renewing and renewing until they consume up a certain pool of tags, you're going to create like fall turkey killing specialists. Yeah. Hmm. And the potential waste that would come from that, people that might just enjoy the hunting of them and the breasting of the mouth and, and hens. I mean, because then you, also your yield is... 40, 50, 60% of what it would be on a Tom. And so just like even, even worse, but then the impact of you're killing a dozen at a time, every time you take out a hen and that's just for the next season, uh, you know, potential turkeys. I, it's, it's stunning. That's stunning to me. Another thing that happens like, uh, in some States in Montana, in the fall, you can kill them with a rifle. Yeah. You can kill them here with a rifle. You can hear him kill him with a rifle in the spring here. Yep. One Wyoming can kill him with a rifle in the spring. I know a guy that they hunt him 
scope in the they hunt spring turkeys. They hunt spring turkeys with an AR on a bipod, which is <laughs> isn't isn't that kind of blown to smithereens? No, oh, no, no, you can, no. I mean, you can precision just, shoot okay. them. You can precision. I mean, the thing is, try to precision shoot it them in the head. Just feels well, like a very I've, high I've certainly shot rifle. turkeys. I'm sorry, but I've I've shot them with a rifle before, yeah. and uh, because uh, at that time I valued turkey meat more than the spring hunt but now i am mm-hmm. fully on board with the spring hunt yeah i want i want to be extra careful here and explain where i'm at on this it's like hate the game not the player <laughs> okay and i don't even hate like i don't i'm not saying i hate the game if i thought that you could just always have shitloads of turkeys I'd be like, yeah, hunt them in the spring, hunt them in the fall, whatever, right? I, to make my point clear, I think that people are making the mistake of, of thinking that they're in a static situation with turkey numbers. But then you go look at what's happening in Arkansas, what's happening in Missouri, what's happening in some other places that, where it's like those, the good old days of the 90s the good old days of the early 2000s ain't here anymore. The turkey numbers, and then everybody's sitting around lamenting the loss of turkeys, questioning the loss of turkeys. What happened to the turkeys? It's the meat, it's like mid sized predators, it's avian influenza, it's killing shitloads in the fall. It just isn't, I think you're like, uh, I'm trying to think of how, what you'd say. It's not cutting off your nose to spite your face. You're dicking yourself over. <laughs> <laughs> You're dicking yourself over. Prove me wrong. In the future, I'll be like, told you. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com. Or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. 
I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubby Doug's, I'm in the navel, and I hear, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on, on X and I'll look at the topography and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. I, for one, use it on all of my outboard engines up in Alaska every year. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Talk about how you cook those ducks, Jesse. Talk about your ducks and how you make them. Those are so good. They came out. Wonderful duck recipe. They came out great. Uh, Jesse's going to tell you, Jesse's going to tell you how to make the best. And don't be all wishy-washy like with with the tartar. I was so wishy-washy with <laughs> Like, that. get in there like you're talking to a five-year-old, okay? <laughs> like you're talking to a five-year-old, a 10-year-old. You're talking to a 10-year-old. Here's how to cook your ducks. Here's how I cooked the ducks the other day. We shot, uh, we, were, we were really knocking down some hen spoonies uh, for some reason. Not even a, a single drake in the bunch. It was, uh, I think we had six, six five, spoon bills. Five or six. I, I wasn't part of this, but. One widgeon. No, uh, yeah, well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, we plucked them, uh, and we dry plucked them. Uh, I'd brought well, I think some. you better get in and talk about the northern shoveler. The northern shoveler is a maligned uh, duck. Very often much maligned. So. Often maligned duck. Let me back up. And uh, we, did a, we did a private class years ago, and we, we, we aligned it on this weekend where turkey, it was fall, uh, season uh, quail dove and duck were all in season and we kind of did this almost scavenger hunt for the clients where they would just go out and you know on a certain day we'd be like today is duck day you guys go out and shoot some ducks and then we would do a little class and then we'd cook them we did a blind tasting between a model duck which is i would say pretty close to a, a mallard as mm-hmm. far as flavor uh they're smaller probably less fat and then also uh a spoonie a shoveler and we, we blind taste them. We brined them and then grilled them, medium rare, sliced them, put them on a plate, labeled them A and B. And uh, between probably about the 10 people that tried them, they universally preferred the shoveler over the model duck. Hmm. And both were good. 
Uh, but I think that, you know, it's one of those things, and I could probably talk for hours about all the things that are uh, maligned or where you've been told they're not good, you know, wild pigs being one of them. Everything on the, every wild game item with a couple exceptions. Right. Someone's going to tell you how it's no good. Right. And a, a shoveler. And, but that said, I've had them before where they were pretty strong. Uh, so we, we dry plucked them. Um, instead of we, I, 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 I want to say a couple more things about go, spoonies. Go um, spoonbills and northern shovelers. It's we're, we're top. It, it's, it's two words for the same thing, but they have like a bit. I mean, their bill look is shaped like a spoon. Right, goes out narrow and has this wide sort of thing on it. And if you ever watch them feeding, they sit on the surface and they basically sieve out. They sieve stuff off the surface of the ponds, and they're, they they catch a lot of larvae, insect larvae, other invertebrates. And a, a general thing, this is like speaking very generally. A general thing is that things that eat a lot of an, ducks and waterfowl that eat a lot of animal matter. They don't taste as good as the ones that eat a lot of plant matter. Right. With the pinnacle of like universal acceptability being ducks that are feeding on grain right would be if you ask people like what's a great duck be like a mallard feeding on barley a goose feeding on or a mallard feeding on corn right like lots of fat mild flavor um a mallard in an estuary in southeast alaska feeding on invertebrates i was saying the other night tastes like the loch ness monster yeah if you could get a steak off him uh and spoonies have that 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 like animal matter ducky can have that animal matter taste which is how how would you describe it uh, mud mud muck musty um I mean, I obviously I'm going to avoid the 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 gamey because it's just a ridiculous term for dra- ca- describing game. Term, yeah. um, well, you know what's funny is we used to describe like any uh, like of that kind of muddy flavor, maybe like a big boar. We used to describe it as spoony. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So you were using the spoon bill last time. <laughs> I mean, because sometimes they can be uh, pretty strong, and I want to I want to be really clear that I don't think that my preparation conquered that i think that these also happen to be oh. on, on the good you taste think they were good spectrum. spoonies i think they were good spoonies um but you know, you know i will say that I, the first duck i cleaned was the widget and then cleaning it holding it in my hand opening it up and having the the organs in my hands was different than when we cleaned the spoonies they i was like oh that's a spoonie <laughs> like that i could Got smell it. them yeah like they were they smelled stronger their gut smelled stronger everything crops full of bugs and right yeah. it, and so i my anticipation of cooking them was like well this you know i'm gonna do it uh but i i don't know how well it's going to turn out but i do think that um if we're ready to move on to that first step yep. is the the pre-seasoning step and that's either going to be a a a dry. No, you're ahead of yourself now because you didn't talk about. You didn't explain how you cleaned them. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we dry plucked them. I brought some wax down, but I feel like for it was six or seven birds, so I wasn't going to fire up the waxing pot uh, for that. And 
uh, it would have taken too much time. So we just sat out and we dry plucked them, and they worked really well. I mean, Meaning you walk out into a field and pluck it. Correct. Yep. You know, we, we plucked them all the way, took, spent a lot of time, and then we saved all the hearts and livers to clean the gizzards. Uh, and they look pretty good. You know, there's some pen feathers on there, but, uh, you know, a lot of times I just ignore this. Like, I'm not super, like, like fastidious about getting in there and getting those little pen feathers off sometimes or just burn them off. Um, the wax works great, though, if you have the time, if you've ever seen. Do you wax ducks? I have, but like you said, it's got to be a pile of them. Yeah. Before it's, it's just, there's just so much like, Go, there's so much that goes into it right that sometimes by the time you do it and then clean up you could have just done it sure or like not even you could have done it by the time you get it going do it clean up you're like i would i would have had them done in a third of as much time it's like making sausage it's better with a, a organization and a team mm -hmm. so like if you're on your way back from a duck hunt like we are at some of these at the classes that we're doing like i'll be back at the processing shed and the guy that took the clients out to duck hunt that morning called me 45 minutes and I turned the burner on and I'm waiting there with three pairs of bird shears when they show up and they just start going into the, into the wax. And I think yep. that's obviously, that's very efficient. And, and you're just using paraffin? Uh, a specific uh, blend. My friend Jonathan from Black Duck Revival, he turned me on to this, uh, this specific blend wax. I cannot remember the brand of it right now. I would, I would, well, I think it's Traub, T R A U B supply. I think that's the one he recommended, but I'd have to go back and look and see what he specifically recommended because that was the best duck wax. Mm -hmm. And it was a blend of paraffin and another type of wax. I'm not familiar with the waxes. Uh, so we plucked them, we uh, let them cool um, in the refrigerator uncovered, got them a little dry, and then I uh halved them by taking the breastbones out you know come down on either side of the breastbone crack through it with a heavy knife so then you've got a half duck i know a lot of times you like to cut the breast off and the leg i, was I gonna love give you, that i was cut. gonna give you a little feedback about that yeah oh just still having the rib bones on there yeah 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 a little unsightly unsightly i'll take that uh i the reason i do that is i need that structure otherwise they're going to fall apart during the process that I'm gonna talk about next. Okay. So I need those I need those rib bones in there to, to keep them. Now, I mean, they could be removed after cooking, but um, if it was just the boneless breast attached to the bone in uh, leg quarter, which is your preference, mm -hmm. uh, I do believe they would have fallen apart or the potential for falling apart could have been there. So next up would be- I, I disagree. Okay. If there's a good layer of fat and skin, it, it holds everything together. If it's a, if the skin's real thin, then I agree with what you're saying. Well, you're just taking these when you when you're cooking like that. You're typically just taking them from raw straight to the grill or the broiler. Or? No, I'm saying if you got a good heavy hide on it, mm -hmm. no, I you can that. slow cook it. You can do like what you were talking about okay. and wind up with an intact piece. Okay, if it's got a good heavy hide on it. Okay, but go ahead, that, that that's neither here nor there. So next up would be the, the pre-seasoning. And I feel like this is probably where you're massaging some of that, that more intense flavor out of these ducks. And that's going to either be in a brine or a dry cure, which is these days known as a, euphemistically known as a dry brine, which I think is pretty funny. Um, 
Because O'Brien is a liquid. <laughs> but, oh. Yeah. Well, you know where, where I use that term? Would be like, let's say you're doing fish, and you just pack it in salt and sugar. In a couple minutes or a couple hours, you have a liquid brine. Oh, because it's exuding. Well, that's known as, I mean, yeah. technically that's a cure. Yeah. No, I'm with you. But I think that I, that's why I think of it. Because in the end, when you dig them out of there, when all that moist, when you dig them out of there, it is a liquid. Certainly. But yeah, you're, you're right. That's a funny term, dry brine. I, I just felt like it, it euphemistically came about a few years back. And I remember the first few times I heard it, I'm like, dry, dry brine. That sounds almost exactly like dry water, pre-seasoning, <laughs> yeah, or or dry rub, or a cure. Like it's there's a, we already had all of that these terms for it. Yeah. But it, either way, I chose uh, the uh, I chose the dry brine technique for these <laughs> dry and, cure. Yes, um, <laughs> and uh, just you know going through the the cabinet, uh, and I, I found some of our coffee cure that we sell at the restaurant here and i use that i was like i mean why not uh so i hit him with a little bit of that which has got some coffee salt sugar a few spices in there um seasoned on both sides and let him sit for about four hours which for that size duck i thought was appropriate and then they went into uh pork fat like rendered lard uh, over very low heat i melted the lard and put them in there to make essentially this is a confit the whole process is confit where you're adding salt, kind of lightly curing it, and then slowly and gently cooking it in fat. I want people to understand what he's saying. He just said slowly and gently cooking it in fat. And covered in fat. So a copious amount of fat. Because I'm afraid people are going to like hear it and they're going to be like, oh, that sounds like complicated. Fry. Yeah, it's not. And then you can reuse the fat as well. And so even the, from a cost perspective, it's not as, as bad as, as, as you might think. It's not yeah. like... And if you're, well, yeah, and also if people are still on the thing that like fat's bad, it's going to do something bad to them. It's not. It's not. It's not absorbing. So, I mean, traditionally a confit was a preservative. So you would, you would use more salt and you would salt it for longer. So it was, the salt was preserving it. And then you would create this indelible layer of cooled fat on top. So even the word larder is a cool place where lard would be congealed. Yeah, you make an anaerobic environment exactly. by putting on in fat. Exactly. So it's salted so your at the bottom. Was full of, your larder was full of meat packed in lard. Correct. And if it was cool enough, just where the, the lard would congeal and set, which probably would happen in, I'd say, the maybe the 50-degree mark, you know, it just is cool enough to where it was becomes a solid. Uh, then you're protecting that meat under there. So it's a it's a very old preservation yeah, you're technique. You're protecting it from oxygen. Yeah, and it's also a, an incredibly useful technique for cooking game because it it's a very slow, gentle heat that adds in a little bit of fat. Uh, but then once you achieve that tenderness, so and let me go back and say I came up short on lard too. I brought a quart of rendered lard with me, and for those 10 halves of ducks i guess it was five by my math um i was barely able to get them covered so i threw a couple sticks of butter in there uh because i had to and that's and it worked of course i just have a question about the salt in there is there any kind of in this cooking process like uh pulling out the mucky flavor 
Um, or is it that the slow cook is having with the salt, the coffee, the sugar, the spices permeating the fat and the flesh of the bird? So is it kind of a going in versus pulling out if we're, if we're eliminating or reducing the mucky flavor? Right. That is an excellent question. I think that I don't, I, I will be real honest and say I don't know mm, mm-hmm. how the magic really works. But what I what I do know is you know, the whole spice trade hundreds of years ago was based on covering up the flavor of rancid right. or mm-hmm. spoiled meats pre-refrigeration. And so, um, you know, you've got people traveling to China mainly to bring back these things that are going to help their food taste a little better. Right, right. Not necessarily because they were refining their palates so the cloves and the cinnamon and the star anise and all these things i always say uh in in the context of of feral hogs i've always said it this way is like the gaminess of a feral hog when you put it into a brine and we use a we use a star anise brine like very specifically salt sugar bay and star anise in water for feral hogs although that said it, it works great for ducks as well but the star anise would be like if if the pig, if a big boar, kind of stinky and a little bit musky and gamey, uh, was a piece of plywood, the the star anise is a fine grit sandpaper that comes in and just rubs it down a little bit. And there's something about that flavor where it rounds it, it meets that gaminess and massages it to where it's it's way more palatable mm-hmm. for some reason. Kind of it. it Somewhere on, if you were like looking at a chart in the spectrum of flavors, the anise or the clove or the cinnamon inhabits the same spectral area, I think, as these muddy flavors. And so it's really helpful in that way. As, as a side note, have you heard of like the Chinese, I don't know if it's really tech, a technical term, but my friend um, who's a Chinese chef mentioned to me this like Chinese meat washing technique which which does use actually all of uh, or most of these spices so um i had old elk in the freezer from a friend maybe it was like three years old and i'm not really sure how well uh processed it was to begin with but i didn't want to waste it and she told me that i should uh in a pot ginger cloves star anise um cinnamon uh kind of i guess brown brown the meat and then add water and bring it to a, a slow boil uh and then dump everything out you know that the blood if it hasn't bled well that like foamy mm-hmm. kind of bubbly mm-hmm. yuck impurities comes to the top instead of skimming it dump everything out and then do that process again. And you can do that process as many times as you want. And that the, the impurities are, I guess, sucked out and you're, and you're just dumping that out. You're not really using the flavor of that broth to start with. Um, well, then what the hell are you doing with that boiled-ass piece of meat? And then you braise. Oh, and you I add don't think fat, that sounds and like you a good add, idea, you know, man. And, I think But I'm telling you, it didn't taste... It tasted fresh. You would not have known because that meat had a funk to it when yeah, it was defrosted. 
yeah. you know, um, and she'll she'll do that with a lot of um, meat that she feels, even you know, meat from the grocery store. Like if it just hasn't bled out enough, and with wild game, um, often cases, hmm. you know, the blood is still in there. If you feel dress cut apart and then kind of package or freeze instantly. Maybe it hasn't dried out. It hasn't hung for long enough. There's the blood is still in the flesh. So I'd like to hear a a remedy for when you got, when you left fish in your freezer a little too long, Mm. like a fatty fish and it gets that kind of skanky. Oh, I just eat it because I'm like, we got to eat it now. (laughs) The fat going rancid. It happens on feral hogs as well. Like if they sit in the freezer for too long, the fat starts to it. They could be way stronger. You can make a, a sausage, and then a, like a year later, it's totally changed in the freezer. Yep. It is. It's the fat. Yeah. Here's a red alert for people that have had bad bear meat. Bear meat. You. If you want to freeze bear meat, you got to get all the fat off the bear meat. Hmm. The fat comes off the bear meat. If you want to make lard, render it now because the lard's good. Put it in your freezer. You can can it. Whatever. But don't freeze that shit with fat on it because the fat spoils. Right, right. Same with pigs. In the freezer. But I want to get back to these ducks. ducks I, want people to, I want people to really understand this. Yes. Jesse has taken his spooners. He's plucked them. Cut them in half. Improperly cut them in half. Properly cut them in half. Okay. Rib uh, bones sticking out everywhere. Rib bones just jabbing out everywhere. He put a coffee cure on them. Yeah. It could have been anything. It could have been... Salt. You know what? I would a component I would really want to have in there would be a little bit of sugar into the the cure or the dry brine. Uh, a little bit of sweetness in there, um, and then some sort of spice. But in this case, I just saw the coffee cure up there, and I'm like, coffee duck. Sure, it was from your restaurant. Try it out. Yeah. Then he put it in the fridge. Four hours. Four hours in the fridge. Then he took it out. Did not rinse it. Correct. Now, not with, without going off on a tangent too far, but traditionally confit would be a heavier salting, like a very heavy salting. And so when it comes out of the cure and it's about to go into the fat, oftentimes you're going to want to rinse the excess. For a short-term cure, for a non-preserving cure for confit, season to quote-unquote taste. Like season it like you would if you were about to throw it on the grill. Or That's in a, a good pan. way of putting it. Yeah. So you just you're applying the amount of seasoning that you actually want. Yep. Now, if you're going to go for something where you want to come back to it in four months, I would go a little bit heavier, cure it very well, and then possibly remove some of that excess salt once it has absorbed into the meat. Uh, but in this case, we were we're going straight into the pot. So I just seasoned it to taste and then put it in the melted lard and butter. And if you're, if you're intimidated by this whole lard thing, I'm talking to listeners, not you. I was just doing this as a little research project, uh, listening intently. But while, while listening, I did a research project. Um, you just, I mean, if you, don't, if you can't find it or you're kind of intimidated by the whole thing, I mean, I, just t- I went to Amazon and typed in. Yeah, I mean, you can buy the shit on Amazon. Yeah. Pork lard. Yeah. You can buy beef lard, pork lard. It's like it's not hard to find. Right. And people often ask about, you know, did I you, see you guys did, sell it at your restaurant. Uh, we, we sure do. <laughs> it's probably. A, if you're in Austin, just go buy it from Jesse. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we sell tallow and lard. 
I would say lard and duck fat, pretty inter interchangeable for con making a confit with duck. Uh, we're using lard because that's what we got. So right now, 42 ounces of um, 42 ounces of hog lard, 25 bucks. Wow. There's another place where it's 100% USDA organic pork lard. 14 ounces for 23 bucks. I'll say we're going to beat those prices down there at Dye Due on 2406 Maynard Road in Austin, Texas. You can go down there and get a, uh, I don't remember what the volume is now, but it's going to be cheaper than that. Wagyu beef tallow, 42 ounces, so two and a half pounds, 30 bucks. But that's, you know, Wagyu beef tallow. Mm -hmm. Let's go on. Okay, so then uh, in a low... Oh, here, here, can, I get, can I hit you with one more deal? One more deal. Let's... Beef tallow. Just let me know if this beats your prices, Jesse. Is that a bucket? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 24 pounds. Uh-huh. 24 pounds of beef tallow. 109 bucks. I don't... I can't do that math. I'm so sorry. Well, let's think it through. No. Let's think it through. <laughs> let's say it was 25 pounds for 100 bucks. Okay. I got that at about four bucks a pound. That's cheap. It's a screaming deal. Well, let's just say it's not as good as yours. It's definitely not as good as So yours. head down to Jesse's restaurant and buy his lard. Right. Well, you can often find lard, too, in uh, Mexican and Central American uh, specialty. Not even specialty, but like grocery stores. Yep. Uh, well, I haven't even got into that, the little manteca. No, no. Well, yes. So I personally, I would advise that you... Uh, avoid shelf stable lard at all costs because it's hydrogenated. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And it's it's as bad as shortening is for you. Um and get the freshly rendered stuff that's at the at the at the meat market, which will typically be uh room tempt sitting on top of the counter. But I will say also that the rendering process is really important with lard and a lot of times I find that the lard there might be a little hard cooked and the more brown that you when you cook it the more you actually fry it and the more color that comes out of it the stronger the pork flavor is and so when we're rendering lard we're our goal is neutrality we really want it to be as mildly flavored as possible and so we're not taking it to a deep golden brown we're taking it very gently until it's what i always tell people it's like a straw color it looks like a light beer huh it's got tiny bubbles in it and it looks like you poured a, a Miller Lite into a glass. It should be kind of that yep. color with the, the tiny bubbles in there indicating that all the moisture is cooked out. I want to point out that a lot of these products I'm looking at are non-hydrogenated. -hydro yeah, they'll be refrigerated. So, yeah, um, I'm going to go ahead and say just do not get shelf-stable lard. It is hydrogenated, and it is, it's quite bad for you. Okay. Uh, so we are. Can I almost, tell you one last thing? Let's do it. It's killing me. It's killing me. I didn't know that you could go on Amazon for fifty two ninety nine and buy a nine pound bucket of bacon grease, <laughs> which would work great. Also, so let's all the just people say, throwing out their bacon grease, dude. Yeah. These people throw it into a bucket and then they sell it. Yeah, for yeah. fifty three bucks. Bacon fat would work. Would work equally well. It's just a bucket that says bacon up. Bacon grease. <laughs> oh, that's great, man.
All right, we're going into the oven now. Oh, uh, so yeah, let me back up. He's plucked the ducks. Oh my, plucked the ducks. <laughs> We've halved them. No, they've been seasoned. They've for, for four hours. Now they're in. They. I've, he went I've, on Amazon. He bought fat. I bought the fat. Uh, I layered the uh, half ducks into the fat, made sure they're covered, and then put that into a pretty low oven. I put it in at two seventy five, uh, just so that they very gently cook. So, um, you know. If you're going to slow cook something, typically it's going to be browned and then and slow cooked. So there's going to be like two distinct phases, like the, the crisping phase and then the slow cooking phase. And you can do that in either order. You can slow cook and then brown, or you can brown and slow cook, which is typically a braise. Or you can cook something until it's tender and then put it on a grill or put it under a broiler or something like that at the end after it's tender and that's what we're doing here so we cooked those ducks until they were tender but not falling apart but i wanted them to be intact intact you know and that's why i left those rib bones on there yeah i want to point out this is a tricky part for people cooking right is slow cooking can like when you're doing this it can feel like oh it doesn't really matter i can let it go for a bazillion years right there is a long window of doneness, but it's not an infinite window of doneness. That's so well put. This is, oh, I get it's okay. I always feel bad about going off on a tangent, but no, but you then I talk this, to you. You explain this ten year old. <laughs> you explain this to ten year olds. I I uh, I do a I do a kind of a challenge for my employees every month, and it's it's I I send them what I call them a mission, and then this year or this month being. Well, this is December. Uh, at the time of the recording, uh, my 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 project for them. All this is all the back of the house employees at the restaurant was to uh, come up with three uh the go like food ghosts so past present and future and so it was like a memory, something they're excited about now, and a goal for the future. Um, and I I kicked it off by telling them my stories and i'm not going to go into depth here but what you just said is very appropriate because my my current focus and what i'm really trying to do is in slow cooking nail the texture of something that's been slow cooked with the attention that i would give a steak oh you know what i mean like i want to have it come out perfect where it's not shredding and falling apart but it's quote unquote fork tender where you where it's just right. I screw this up all it's the time. It's very easy because of what you just said. But the thing is, is when it goes too far, uh, especially a braise or a stew or something like that, and it's just like, well, that's okay, you know. But if it's not far enough, obviously it's tough. Yeah. So, absolutely, we cook these ducks. Um, I would say about four hours. And Four hours at 275. Yeah. And it would be intact enough that you can grab the end of a drumstick and hoist the duck out. Lightly, with gently, tenderly, where you would... you would. Okay, hoist might not be the word. Hoist, no, is definitely implies... Like pulling out with a truck or something. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, well, just going in with a knife, and if it goes through with, with no resistance wiggling that that leg and seeing that it's starting to to be it's it's tender but it's not falling apart but knowing also that there's still a little bit of a cooking process um i 
in this case, I cooled the ducks in the fat, which I think really helps them because it gives them kind of a, uh, they kind of coast out of that heat and the fat congealed all around them. And I put them in the refrigerator and let them sit overnight. Now you could pull them out immediately and go on to this next process, but my preference and what timing wise, I wasn't serving it that day. I was serving it the next day. I just threw the pot. I let it cool down a little bit and threw it in the refrigerator where the, it covered them and congealed in fat. The next day you come back and very gently, cause you don't want to fry them. You know, I very gently melted the fat and removed the ducks and let them kind of drain most of their fat off. And then let's address the fat because we've gone extensively into, uh, rendered fat prices <laughs> and, and it's not cheap right and so we don't want to discard this fat and so here's what you do with that and oh i will say i'll make note something that i've never done before i took two heads of garlic cut them in half and threw them in the fat and essentially made like garlic confit along with it and that mm. was awesome i mean you could just smell just like mm. this beautiful like really slow cooked garlic infusing into them as well. And so now my fat is infused with that garlic. So I strained the fat out, uh, not boiling hot, but you know, let it cool off a little bit where it's still liquid. And I strained it into, um, I don't know how to put this, a container that one could easily scoop the congealed fat out of. So don't put it in a mason jar that has a, a neck on it put it in something that's either straight sided or kong vex vex i think <laughs> yeah that mm -hmm. that you can not a lab beaker but the other yes, way yes right, like the lip is wider than the base correct and so and then i put that in the refrigerator so what you're going to have now is your your fat's going to your pure fat because i strained it your pure fat's going to rise to the surface and congeal and then at the bottom you are going to have a bit of this kind of seasoned gelatinous liquid that has come off of the ducks. Um, and then at some point after it's been totally cooled, you're going to want to go in and scoop the whole thing out and scrape the, that gelatinous liquid off the bottom. And that will, at that point, that fat is good for years. And then you could take that little bit of liquid that it's like a highly concentrated gelatinous stock. It's highly seasoned also. And you can use that in small amounts in a soup or something like that. You could you could add that into something. There would be probably from this project, we probably would yield about a half a cup of this gelatinous liquid at the bottom. That's going to be like kind of concentrated yep. uh, cured duck flavor. You know, uh, I have a little witch's hat with those filters that you can pour it through. Yes, to pull a bunch of the shit out of it. Yes, but you still get the layer. Yeah, you're going to have it no matter what. Um, and then that, that fat is going to be good to go for several more rounds if you treat it the same way every time. Um, and then so, so the, that, that initial investment will be diffused by being able to reuse it. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe... 
how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater applying for tags each year in the west can be daunting yeah i apply for everything everywhere it's daunting you have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply well this is a thing of the past now onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters this tool helps organize the data that matters makes comparing hunt options easy and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools free for all on x hunt elite members not an elite member well let's fix that use code meat eater to receive 20 percent off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this is an app i use literally every day i use it for every aspect of hunting scouting trapping you name it we've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go but here's one product that stood the test of time seafoam motor treatment Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. I, for one, use it on all of my outboard engines up in Alaska every year. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Okay, so now you got your ducks. Your duck halves have been cooked for four hours, submerged in pork lard at 275 degrees. Right. The listener has pulled his ducks out, and he's finding, he or she are finding that they're intact. You can gently lift the half of the duck. It's not falling apart. It's not like how my mother used to cook squirrels in a crock pot and cream of mushroom soup where when she was done, there was a layer of bones in the bottom. Yeah. And and everything else floating on top. Right. They're intact. And here we are. Here we are. Uh, I put them on a little uh, sheet tray or a baking sheet, and then I started a very gentle mesquite fire because I don't want to 
grill them over really high heat. But what I just want to do is just, I want to I let them kind of cool off a little bit. And then I, I just want to cook them skin side down on a grill oh, and only on the skin side. I'm never going to flip them to that cut side. Ever, never. Never. And I just want to gently crisp up the skin and give them a little bit of smoke. Um, and like the nice, beautiful, like charcoal burning wood flavor. Um, so that process should take about 20 minutes. Like the fire is that gentle under them or there's that much space. However, you're going to achieve that just a few coals, you put them down and they're going to make just a little bit of a sizzling sound and you want them to kind of gently brown up from there and just get that skin crisp. And I, I, I did a little glaze just because the Brad, the guy that owns this place, he was cleaning out a cabinet and he was like, here's some pepper jelly. And I was like, perfect. Yeah, that shit was good. Yeah, that was great. So uh, a little bit of something sweet, uh, just like brushed that on the skin after the fact. And that's it. Pepper jelly. Um, pepper jelly. And it could be anything. It could be a mix of vinegar and honey, which is uh, classically my favorite. Like literally just a 50-50 mix of any vinegar and honey. Um, I mean, it could be rice wine vinegar, balsamic, apple you cider. You write that shit down. White oh, wine man. vinegar. It doesn't really matter. Sherry vinegar. Very good. Um, if something you, if sweet. If you did that, would you need to heat that together? Uh, yeah. To mix that's, your, that's, a go, that's a good go-to too. duck glaze. That's a good glaze. That's a good, like, uh, I don't have a lot of available things. Or really just anything sweet and anything, like, oh, all I've got is uh, the juice out of a jar of pickled jalapenos and some blackberry jam. Hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm not advocating that specifically or saying it's my favorite, but if that's what you got, you're probably going to make that work. I mean, it's probably going to be good. It's sweet and it's sour. You know, just find something you know i've got a lime and a coconut <laughs> <laughs> i mean you've, you've got a lime and uh some molasses i mean again i'm not advocating that specifically but that's the that's the general yep. idea yeah and then a little bit of a glaze on them so vinegar and honey vinegar and honey is mm. beautiful i mean and you can embellish that you know like uh, garlic uh, it's very good in there. Um, and then you can put spices in there. My preference and is... brushing that on ducks, yeah. birds, quail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, I, I think, I can't remember which book I have. Oh, that's in, it's in my, uh, in a field. Uh, there's a glaze and it's 50-50 honey and vinegar with a little bit of anise seed and, um, and garlic. And it's, it's a wonderful glaze. That sounds so good. Yeah. It works really well, especially with sherry vinegar for some reason. Uh, and that was it. And then we served the ducks. And, you know, at first, you know, it was a little like, oh, how are these going to be? And then I, I cheated and tore a little piece off. And I was like, I kind of nailed that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, it was good. It so was good. good. You nail everything, man. I've never oh, had you make anything no, that wasn't good. No, I don't. I, well, that's that's super kind of you, but I don't. Um, you know, there's, there's failures out there. But I think that just I, I like to try to make Spoonies taste good. I like to give them a chance, you know. You're gonna kill them, you know. Let's just let's just treat them with with an ideal that they're gonna be great. 
you know, yeah. and no. And then it just comes down to tricks. And then when we draw out the cooking process over 40 minutes, I hope people aren't intimidated, but it's really not that hard. If you, oh, no. if you distill this down. Uh, let, me, let me do a quick version. There you go. Okay. Pluck your ducks, cut them in half, uh, put some seasoning on them, let them sit a few hours, get a big pot of lard, pork lard, stick the ducks in there, put it in your oven for a few hours at 275, four hours at 275, pull them out, smoke them for a while, throw a glaze on. How's that? I love it. That's perfect. So you, you can listen it. to that or you can listen to everything else we just talked about. Yeah, just yeah, scroll back and listen to my <laughs> voice over and over. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, they turned out great and, and it, would, it would apply to other ducks. Um, you can do the same process. We, we use this confit and grill process extensively at the restaurant. We do chicken hearts that way. I mean... I've, I've stole that from you. So I mean, just to look at... I stole at the, that for duck hearts. Right. The how useful it is like the two main things that we do in that manner at the restaurant would be chicken hearts and beef ribs so like a, a three or four pound full cut beef rib uh that is cured and then slowly cooked in this case in beef fat until it's tender and then grilled at the end and that's our way of achieving tenderness and then when the order comes in we can cook the beef rib over the grill and it can get that you're 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 getting it tender first and then you're coming back later and getting the smoke the char and the texture now that's my favorite venison rib preparation but i haven't done it in the lard it would be quite good you do it in water i do it in water sure part of the thing is this i'll be curious to get your take on this part of what i'm trying to do when i do it in water is i'm trying if it's a real fatty deer it's great. A lot more meat. Uh-huh. I'm trying to get all that deer fat yeah. out of the meat. Right. So I slow cook it, right? And then when you set it, when you get it up to set it and let it cool, all that fat, it's tallow, right? Waxy. Which just doesn't taste that. It's, it's super waxy. Unpleasant. So I'm trying to get all that waxy fat out of there. Right. And it floats up to the surface of water. A thing I might be afraid of, or maybe it wouldn't matter, is if I took my little deer ribs, and like, imagine you got, like, just listeners, like, imagine you got a deer standing there, and you got all of its ribs. In the end, I, like, cut the ribs off. I take a sawzall and run them into slip, sort of strip, cut them into strips, uh, so that I got chunks of three-inch rib. So I'm going against the grain of the ribs with my sawzall. And I'm just cutting the rib slab into three strips. And then I take a few bones, cut it, a few bones, cut it. And I got like if you went to a restaurant and ordered pork ribs. Two or three ribs per piece. The ribs are not three. Maybe the ribs are four or five inches tall. Uh, I cook them till tender in water. Are you seasoning the water? No. I season it after I'm done. I would... Because and I, I want all that deer fat to liquefy and go away. Right. Then I do a dry rub. Then I grill them. But here's my question to you: Let's say I'd cooked them down. I tenderized them in pork lard. Uh, it would probably uh, diffuse, carry away the deer fat waxiness. My feeling is yes, it probably would. It would probably serve the same exact purpose as the water. 
but it would incorporate. But it could in- incorporate some less waxy fat back in. That's, but this your is a other fat would here. then have wax. Your other I mean, fat would have wax and fat integrated that. into it, is my theory. That is also true. But probably such trace amounts that it doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, to full full disclosure, I also cook the venison ribs like this in water. But what I like to do is highly season the water so that I'm getting... Because what I've always found is that uh, when you... When you cook them, you've got you've got the outside seasoned only, and the inside tends to be, run a little bland. So I will season it with, you know, bay leaves and garlic and onion, and I'll, there'll be some salt in the water. Or if you do have time before they go into the water, season them at that point, like so, dry brine them, <laughs> yep. and then dry go into them. the water, and so that 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 they're they're fully seasoned, and then when they come out, you don't have just like that outer layer. That's got the nice seasoning on it, but they're seasoned throughout. And then you grill them. Correct. Oh, it's so good. And that's and that's my fifty fifty honey vinegar glaze. That's we 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 do this very often. Just make venison ribs like that, exactly like you're saying. You know, par cook, um, and then baste on the grill with that vinegar and honey mix. Let me tell you something that's real good. You probably already know about is uh, what I like to baste them with on my grill. 50% 50% cider vinegar, 50% mustard. Oh, mustard. Yep. And I slop them in that. My kids, it's so weird. I mean, they love it. Yeah. That, they like to have the little dipping bowls of it too. Oh. Cider vinegar and mustard brushed on the ribs. Nice. You can brush them barbecue sauce, but then it tastes like every damn thing in barbecue sauce. Right. We, we, eat, we eat no shortage of barbecue sauce in my house. <laughs> It's just like such a like, oh, the hell are we going to do with these leftovers? Well, I'm going to mash them up and put barbecue sauce and put it on sandwiches. Right. Uh, we made, for Thanksgiving this year, we made a big Italian mixed boil. Uh-huh. Bolito misto. Yeah, bolito misto. And in the end, I we just got so sick of the leftovers. In the end, I just wound up all in barbecue sauce on sandwiches. <laughs> all the shanks and everything, you know? Yeah. yeah. What went into it? What did I do? The bleedo, bleedo misto. Yeah, I did. Uh, a friend of mine that raises cattle gave me some beef tongue. Nice. My kid's buddy, uh, his family raises chickens, so I had a chicken, and then I realized I needed another chicken, so then I had to buy a chicken. I had uh, a moose brisket. This is like a classic composition right here, brisket. I had a chicken. piglet, a wild piglet shoulder from Hawaii. So uh-huh. the whole pig shoulder. I had a couple antelope shoulders that I corned where I just sawzalled a whole antelope leg into three pieces and corned it. I had pronghorn shanks that were just braised. What else did I put in there? And then like rutabagas, turnips, white beets taters can is it a, can we talk about this yeah like for a minute you don't like it no i oh. i i really i really enjoy this topic okay and there's a there's a couple th- and I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna ask you questions now um and going back to the well let, let's start here um poached or well it's a, it's it's a mixed boil I mean, that's what it translates it's to. a mixed boil but it's not boiled 
It's poached. Well, yes. You're not. You're not. I, I never it once in the process boil. had a rip and boil. Correct. Now, if I had the, if I had really devoted my brain to it and had the, a large enough vessel and really sat and looked at everything and thought it out, I could have been like, okay, I'm putting. We're going to eat at six. I'm putting that in at nine a.m. I'm putting that in at 10 a.m. I'm putting that in at 5 p.m. Right. But I didn't do it that way because I was too lazy to think about it all. Because I I was going to get there in a second. I had a few things going. Right. I had a few things going that all got combined in the end. Okay. Okay. Because the the staging was going to be my second question. My first being more, not really a question, but more of an observation is that like poached or meats that are slow cooked in water not widely accepted here like um we we really crave i think in in this country and many other countries uh the texture of a sear from a grill or or being fried or put under a broiler yeah they weren't getting that in my house this year no but uh i love things like that like a poached chicken or a poached shank or a tongue or something like that i think there's a lot of value to it and how how do we go about normalizing that as a preparation? Because it's really cool. I think it's you really cool. You need to feed it to your kids when they're young. Yeah. And if everybody did that in a generation or two, the problem would be over. But what if you're an, an adult and you're like, boiled meat, who eats that? Oh, Nobody. I don't even Ugh. care. It's like, I don't care. I used, to, I used to years ago care about all this stuff, you know? I don't care what people. I just don't care. I don't want to hear about it anymore. No, but what if we're trying to open hear about people's minds? Yeah, we're trying to we're trying to convince people to eat mixed boils. Yeah, I just kind of like you know. I, I just don't. I don't need to hear about what you don't want to eat. I just like don't don't come over. <laughs> so if you were so next question. Okay, let me hit with let me hit with a quote from a friend of mine. Okay. So my wife, for meeting new people, my wife will often. Uh, if their kids are coming over, my wife will often be like, just so you know, we have guns in the house. They're locked up, but we have guns in the house. You know? Uh, she just feels this is a courtesy because there's some, you know, whatever. She doesn't apologize about it. She's just letting them know. I think she's been ass enough, maybe. But uh, a friend of mine is like, uh, if, if they don't like it, don't come to my house. And I just a little bit like what I, what I, I can't even, I, I just can't, all the people that don't want to eat all the stuff, I just, I, I can't argue with them anymore. I, I'm, I'm right there. But I do think that educate, educating and opening some minds, but there's still time. And people listen. They listen to what you have to say. They okay. listen. They're interested in the fact that you had the mixed boil for Thanksgiving. Yeah, I've talked about I, three times. I, I mean, <laughs> I think it's I think that's amazing. I love that. My wife was a little miffed, but in the end she conceded that it was better than what you normally eat at Thanksgiving. If you were to can I get on to my technical question? Oh yeah, please. If you were to stage it, did you cook it in the same broth? In the end, no. I had a few things going on. Couple I don't, different I don't, pots go of ahead things. and ask your questions unless you want me to elaborate. Let's say, hypothetically, you've got a big pot where you're going to cook everything. How would you have, how would you have staged it? What order would you have, have I done? would have woke up in the morning, 
and I would have gotten my uncured raw ass shanks in there. Um, let's say I'm eating. Let's say I'm, we're going to eat at six. I would have, uh, I would have gotten my pot, and because I wouldn't want to sit there keeping an eye on it, I would have just put it in my oven at a certain temp and put my shanks in there. Mm-hmm. Then I would have gone my corned meats. Oh, you know what else I put in there? Forgot about this. I made a bunch of venison garlic sausages and right. threw a dozen of them in there. The, I'm sorry, the sausages are going in this early? No, 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 no. Oh. I've forgotten my big, what all was in there, that was in there. They went in late. I would have done my raw-ass uncured shanks. Okay. Then later I would have put my corned in, my corn, and I corned my moose brisket, and I corned some of the uh, bone-in venison pieces. I would have waited a while. My tongue was already, you know, it's not a raw tongue. My tongue had already been smoked. Oh, okay. So it's just vac sealed. I made it. I made three, saved one for Thanksgiving in a vac bag. So it's like recipe ready. It just needs to be warmed up. Like you could, it was just ready to eat as soon as I thought it out. So I would have waited. And then at probably like uh, four o'clock, maybe, I would have put my tongue in there. Five o'clock, I would have got my harder to like big beets, big white beets, uh-huh. turnips and radishes. I would have got them in there to make sure that they were ready. Radishes? No, I'm sorry. Rutabagas. Rutabagas. Got it. At 5.30, 5.15, I would have done my chicken and my sausages. And by now the broth is just it's phenomenal. It's, it's phenomenal. So I good. say I you know what when I was all done the next day, because I strained it off. When it was all done the next day, I jarred it all in yeah. my pressure canner. So now I got that shit on my shelf in canning jars. Nice. So the meats are coming out, they're getting sliced. Yeah, a little bit. Part of the appeal is it's some caveman looking business. Yeah. I bought two giant platters on Amazon with pumpkins and stuff on them because like <laughs> none turkeys and pumpkins and shit out yeah, yeah. because we're not having any of that stuff and so i was like it was a little throw to people that were all miffed a little jab certain unnamed family members yeah that were like where's the turkey stuffing it's right there on the cornucopia so it's, uh, look you'll notice uh, it's all portrayed there on the edge of yeah. the, my giant platters that yeah. i don't know you know where i'm gonna put them until next thanksgiving <laughs> <laughs> and i made two mountains mountains yeah. of boiled assorted meats and root vegetables okay and then, oh and a lot of carrot uncut carrots oh just whole carrots whole ass Deal with the it. biggest nastiest carrots you can find whole ass carrots got it and then what what is uh did you do condiments Ble- or uh, mustarda, which I just bought. So you went like full on traditional with. Oh this. yeah, well I'm I'm 23 Italian. There you go. Two percent North African, and then a whole bunch of uh, Western Europe. Okay. I was digging into my 23 percent Italian. There you go. I bought mustarda, um, and then we made two a red salsa and a green salsa. It's like a raw green herb sauce. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 
This is phenomenal. Salt? And I had a couple little salt tubs laid out. Uh, any special salt or just some kosher? Flake sea salt. Flaky sea salt. Then, now if you really want to know, then I made a horseradish sauce. Uh, creamy? Yeah. You nailed this. Yeah. I got, a horse, I got my own horseradish patch, too, I'll point out. Oh. So, which is frozen and locked under dirt, but I had cured, you know, I had made some with vinegar and all that. And that was for the corned meats. Phenomenal. Yeah. That answer all your questions? It did. It did. I'm really glad we took a turn down mm -hmm. that route. This, I, is a this is a food episode. Okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Anything else you need to know? No. No. I mean, we can, we can move on. But I, I, like I said, I, I think that this is, this is a topic that really needs normalizing. Uh, we had a guest on, talk about boiled meat. We had a guest on, Seth Kantner. He was raised um, outside of Kotzebue. He was brought up in a sod igloo, living off the land. Dirt floor, sod igloo, sled dogs, feeding them off caribou. He's an author. He wrote Shopping for Porcupine. He wrote Ordinary Wolves. He wrote A Thousand Trails Home about caribou. Reading his book about caribou, like they eat a lot of um a lot of boiled. Like that style of cooking, which is like very influenced by a Nupiat culture and stuff, but they eat a lot of just like a moose knees. You butcher your moose, you, you get the big chunks off, the big muscle groups off, and then they, then they like take the knee joint and they just boil it. And they eat all that tendon, gelatinous stuff. Marrow. Yeah. A lot of boiled meat. You'd have people over, and it would just be like the, like the pelvis, okay? So you butcher a caribou. You take that whole pelvis, whatever, just any chunks of anything that, like, you'd normally be like, okay, it's clean. Like, let's say you're butchering an elk out in the mountains. All the shit that's laying there when you walk away with your backpack full of meat, boneless meat or quarters or whatever, everything that's laying there, they would saw up and boil mm -hmm. and serve that. And you go in there, go to the pot, and you grab out a moose knee, and you sit down and pick it. Yeah. Everything, down, bones, to the, yep. everything down to the bone. Makes sense. And reading that, it's like, man, you know, it's like salt and boiled joints. Yeah. So they they have it very much so of like a, an appreciation for just that boiled meat. Yeah, I think many cultures do. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, just soups and you know, pho. Yep. You know, or you know, and you know, France has its own version of of that. I mean, Italy famously so, but I I, I particularly enjoy it, especially when you you play with all the condiments and you, it's like a choose your own adventure over there and you've got these like sharp bright condiments that are going with this like kind of like stodgy yeah almost unidimensional preparation that's delicious but still and then you get the the, broth. the, the sauces really make it right the right. mustard of fruit it's fun yeah and that jelly inside the mustard of fruit yeah. all that stuff really makes it what yeah. is mustard he could probably explain it mustard fruit but there's no mustard in it 
There should be mustard seeds in it. Okay, mu- yeah, sorry. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, mustard being like one of the most preservative of the spices. I mean, it, it lasts almost indefinitely. And so mustarda uh, is an Italian like sweet condiment that's also got a bit of spice to it. So okay. picture it be- a maraschino cherry. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it'll have some of those in it. But you've made, picture that you've made maraschino cherries out of kiwis, cherries, oranges, yeah. pear slices hmm. that sounds great and then it's packed in a how do you even describe what it's packed in it's a it's a a jelly okay or a syrup it's expensive uh-huh. as shit yeah and it can be made with any fruit it's kind of it's uh i would say it's in the chutney family oh okay yep. okay yeah. and I, I don't work i gotta point out man i got no i don't work at amazon um <laughs> i bought mine off amazon because you get it from italian i mean if, if like you know we live in Montana. It's hard to find some stuff. Sure. If you were in New York, you just go down and probably go to like 18 stores within right. five blocks and yeah. buy mustard fruit. <laughs> yeah. But I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I just yeah. order it. And it comes from, it's like all made in Italy. Yeah. And right. I just buy the jars on Amazon. Yeah. I mean, There's probably a better way to do it, but that's just how I do it. You could make it. It'd be a fun, it would be a project akin to making jam or jelly, okay. anything like that, or, or a chutney where you could can it. Yep. Um, and you could use whatever fruit it is. I mean, you could make a choke cherry mustarda or something like that or an apple mustarda mm-hmm. okay. you know, they're being dumb asses but my kids do not like it they do not like it huh. they like the look of it sure you like white claw a kid can look at a can of white claw across the room and they are in huh everything about it the color of the can the size of the can the little design yeah. it's like they see that and they think I would like that beverage. From a hundred yards away, they know they're gonna they, they they like everything about the presentation. You bring a jar and we start in the home and they're fired up. Like what could you know? Don't they like sweet? <laughs> what could be more exciting than what's in that jar? And then they taste it and they're just out. <laughs> it's like they're like, someone ruined it. It's too <laughs> spicy. Uh-huh. But it's a great wild game accompaniment across sure. the board, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. On duck. It's phenomenal on dark. Does yeah. it have a kind of vinegar in it as well? Is there a sour element or is there a fruit that's sour that's in it? Like like a tang? Is it is there always no, a tang or it's not quite in it's that gotta direction? It's got to come from the fruit and then a copious amount of mustard. Okay. M-O-S-T-A-R-D-A. Yeah. It'll be like fruta. <clears throat> it's in Italian. Yeah. It'll be fruta mustarda. I'll have to try it one day. Yeah, when you're searching up beef fat, you search up a jar of that and get yourself a jar heading over. Yeah. Prepare to pay for it. Right. I mean, I think chutneys too are, you know, again, a undone. universal condiment. And like, uh, there's a, I put a chutney recipe in the hog book and I feel like you can put anything in there from an apple to a zucchini and it's going to come out great. It's just, it's, it's a method. Okay. Uh, which is always appealing to me. It's just to like put out methods rather than strict recipes. Yeah. And so, but what at the end of the day, what it is, it's that it's it's sweet and it's sour and like there's that those two flavors go so far with like enlivening game because it's just that richness. It's the the old EQ on the radio where you've got too much bass and you need to bring in a little bit of treble. And that's exactly what, what those flavors are with that like acidic punch and mustard seed, ginger, things like that. I want to close with, uh, I want you to, th- I'll do mine first. I get to do three, but you only, you only get to do one. 
your best like your best message like if you could have a, a message to wild game cooks broadcast into outer space okay so that all life would hear it what would it be i go first and i only got one no i'm gonna go first i get three okay <laughs> one is go eat at jesse's restaurant oh two is get if you like to hunt wild pigs get jesse's hog book what's it called the hog book yeah I knew it was something real simple. <laughs> I've had more people come to me about that book. People, people that are exposed to pigs, and they got all the stupid shit. Like you can't eat this guy. Yeah, you can't eat the boars. You can't. You can't eat the sows. Whatever the hell. You hear it all. Uh, it's phenomenal a, book. It's available on the meat eater store. It's a phenomenal book. Thank you. I people come it. to me all the time about how blown away they are about that book. We won the James Beard Award since I saw you last. Oh, I didn't know that. That the book won the, the James Beard Award. Did it really? Yes, sir. You're shitting me. No. For the single subject category. The hog book is the winner. No way. I think that's a win for, I'm not trying to be, I don't know. I don't know what the word would be. But when the, just getting that recognition for a book about hunting and specifically about pigs that's hyper graphic there's uh we, we self-published it so we could put whatever pictures we wanted in there there's a lot of, i mean there's guts there's blood there's there's death there's dead piglets all that stuff i think that uh the recognition from the culinary community about a book like that was really significant to me and i'm not trying to be no, to turn great, this man. into something like it's a win for us all but it's a win for us all i felt like that was it was very cool to to see that to, I, didn't, I didn't hear i didn't know awesome. that yeah. yeah son of a bitch yeah. huh. it was pretty cool i got to go to chicago too and hear my name <laughs> it was cool that's great man. my daughter said that my nose was sweating <laughs> <laughs> Um, so here's my final tip. So okay. let's go to your restaurant, get your hog book. Here's my final tip. Uh, I've said this before. You're either cooking it too long or you're not cooking it long enough. Damn, you nailed it. Oh. You nailed it. You nailed it. Uh, I'll, I'll, mine, mine is don't believe what they say. <laughs> <laughs> don't believe what they say. Cause when they are telling they you, they get to talking that a gaff top catfish is not edible or that an dad is not edible or you can't eat a pig over, pick your weight, 90, 100, 120, 140, whatever it is. Can't eat them in, from February to August or whatever. Don't believe them. Don't believe them. You can't eat a shoveler. You can't, you know, boiled meat's not good. Just don't believe them. That's, that's, uh, that's my advice. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Lying sons of bitches. They are. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> you know what? And they've never tried it. They just heard it. It's just that generational misinformation. Uh, I think we, we got to remember to call the, Kareem, we got to remember to call the episode Don't Believe Them. Okay. <laughs> Done.
Love it. We come up with a lot of good titles and we kind of forget them. <laughs> well, it's best to just record that. <laughs> you know, just, yeah, we workshop it and no, just put it right we, in we there. We do record it and then yeah. we name it something different. Right? Uh, I was like, we ought to call this episode. And then we like, think, then it gets a different name. And the listeners are really confused. This one, by yep. God, is going to be Don't Believe Them. Yep, and you can check it. my work by going and looking what it's called. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Perfect. Jesse Griffith. Yeah, thank, thank you. Die Due in Austin, Texas. Yes, sir. D-A-I-D-U-E. Yeah, he should have named it something different. It's should too late have. now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's way too late. <laughs> that ship sailed. Yeah. My daughter, I'm not even going to tell you. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, when she was reading it. Yeah. I was like, it's Die Due. Die Due. Yeah, that's, that, that's that Italian coming out. Yeah, you... You genetically knew how to pronounce it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that Sport Dog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash MEATEATER to learn more.